comes to nourishing your child, you'll do whatever it takes to feed his dreams. More than 540 jobs are likely to be lost in Askeaton, County Limerick, when the Wyeth Nutrition Plant shuts in 2026. Wyeth, which is owned by multinational food giant Nestle, produces just one thing, baby milk formula. At Wyeth Nutrition, all our milk brands are infused with scientifically formulated micro and macronutrients. All of it is exported, mainly to China. And that's the problem for the Limerick plant. Parent company Nestle says that falling demand for imported infant formula in China is behind the shock decision. It blamed China's shrinking population, which has led to a fall in demand for baby formula. This is the first time that the population fell since the Great Famine in 1961. Beijing correspondent Dennis Staunton. Not only is it something which is the first time it's happened for like 70 years, but it's also, it seems to be the start of something rather than just a blip. That then, in turn, will affect the rest of the world. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, why is China's population falling? Dennis, in the Irish Times report about the news that more than 500 jobs will be lost at a milk formula plant in Limerick, two reasons for the closure were given. We're going to spend most of our time talking about one of those, the main one, which is China's falling population. But can we quickly address the other reason? And that's that China has rebuilt its own domestic infant formula industry. And that was destroyed about 15 years ago in a massive scandal. Can you remind us what happened? Yeah, basically what happened was in 2008, there was a big scandal where one particular company that made uh, baby formula called San Lu, they had introduced melamine, uh, which was a kind of a a plastic, actually, that uh, they introduced it into the baby formula. And the reason they did it was that it increased the nitrogen content, and that gave uh, the appearance of a higher protein content. And that meant that it was able to pass quality control testing more easily. And so what happened was that this affected about 300,000 children, tens of thousands became sick, and a number of them were hospitalized and some children died. As China's tainted milk scandal spreads across the country, anxious parents are keeping local hospitals busy, making sure their infants haven't been affected by poisoned milk powder. Why didn't the government test the formula more carefully, asked this mother. And this became an enormous scandal. Two people were sentenced to death and executed because of this. Then after that, it meant that there was a huge problem in terms of confidence in the Chinese market in terms of their own uh, baby formula. And there was a big rush on then to uh, get imported baby formula. And there were huge shortages. You had uh, this uh, baby formula being kind of smuggled in from Hong Kong. And that then meant that it gave opportunities to countries like Ireland. Uh, But the big thing was to make sure that uh, it was very safe. So uh, Irish baby formula became one of the bigger elements in the market here in China because of the fact that it had a good reputation in terms of the purity and the quality of what they were getting. So now China has rebuilt that industry. But there's another much bigger issue affecting demand. And and the one goes way beyond milk formula, I suppose, or any other single industry. You reported in September on the news that China's population shrank last year for the first time since 1961. What are the details of that? 
Well, the population fell by 850,000 uh, over the year. And so it went down to 1.41 billion. And then later in the year, India overtook China as the most populous country in the world. But also uh, what they found was that there were uh, almost 10% fewer births in 2022 as in 2021. And uh, the number of people of uh, working age, the proportion of people of working age fell from 70% down to 60 so you have uh, this problem of not only do you have uh, you know, fewer people, uh, kids being born, but obviously an aging population as well. So those two things happening together. Now, I think if you were to ask anyone about population and China, they'd immediately say the one child policy. We know that it began in 1979 and it lasted for 35 years. And I suppose for the West, it's became a symbol of how different China society operated and, you know, how controlled it was, how, how you know, it, it went into people's bedrooms. In that period, Chinese families could only have one child and the rule was strictly enforced. Why was that policy introduced and what impact did it have? It was introduced at a time when China was still very poor. It was before all of the reforms that started in the 1980s and the population was increasing and it was getting to a billion and they decided that they had to take these measures uh, to try to reduce the population. They started by encouraging people to have a maximum of two children or one child and then they started to roll it out and eventually it became a national policy. There were some exceptions, so members of ethnic minorities were allowed to have more than one child and in some uh, areas, in rural areas, if the first child was a girl, then they sometimes allow them to have a second child. And one of the consequences of this was that it created this gap so that there are more men than women. There are 35 million more men in China than women, uh, which is a problem, particularly for the men. Welcome to the most miserable place in China for lovers. Here, where single men sit around all day, it seems, with nothing to do, you come across them everywhere listless and hopeless. And to make things worse, the few women here hightail it out this economically depressed region as soon as they can. It's kind of skewed the demographics. So it became quite a successful policy in its own terms insofar as, as you say, it was enforced in some places very rigorously. But the trouble was that it then became almost too successful. And by the time you got to the point where in 2015 they uh, relaxed it and said you could now have two kids, and now in 2021 they increased that to three, basically they're saying you can have as many as you like, still nobody's having them. And are there any theories of why the fertility rate has not increased? People are allowed to have more children. Why are they not? Well, there's one very simple thing is the expense, that it's uh, China is one of the most expensive places in the world to raise a child if you compare it to per capita income. And that's partly because of the fact that childcare is very expensive. Education, despite the fact that this is a communist country, people pay for education, they pay for an awful lot of the things around education. And then you have what... Uh, the academics call spillover effects. And these spillover effects really are that if 
a lot of people are only having one child. That then encourages other people to have only one child. And the reason is that if you're only having one child, you're investing more money in that child. And so you're going to spend money on things like, for example, extra tuition, private tuition. And if I'm doing that with my kid, then you feel uh, in a very competitive environment that you've got to do the same. And that then is off-putting if it comes to, you know, or at least it increases the cost of rearing a child. Now, the government a few years ago introduced some measures to try to ease this burden. So, for example, they banned private tuition for uh, after-school tuition uh, for the core subjects like Chinese and maths and English. The idea was that it would ease some of the pressure on parents, but it doesn't seem to have been quite enough. And if you talk to people in China, young people either who have decided not to have any children or who have decided to stop at one, the big thing they talk about more than anything else is just just the the pressure in terms of the cost. Coming up, what a plummeting population means for China and the world. Dennis, in September, you wrote about Dupeng. He is vice principal of Beijing's Renmin University and the director of its Institute of Gerontology. And he's been talking about China's ageing population and the numbers are staggering. There are more than 250 million people over 60 years of age. And he predicts that the number will double by 2050. He said... We are still at the foot of the mountain. From this year, we will enter a period of rapid population ageing in terms of the absolute number of elderly people. From now to 2050, it will gradually increase to close to 500 million people. Dennis, with fewer younger people and more older people, you don't need to be a demographer to know that this will cause massive problems. But what problems will it cause for China and for the world? Can we start with China? Well, one of the problems is to do with productivity. And one of the problems there is that in China, you retire at 60 if you're a man. And if you're a a woman, you retire at 55, unless you work, say, in a factory or a manual labor, in which case you retire at 50. And uh, they've started to try to you know, to increase the retirement age. But as in other places, people don't really like it. And one reason they don't like it actually is because a lot of uh, older women, they want to take care of their grandchildren. And that, again, sort of helps to ease the, you know, the financial burden of having kids. So one of the, the, the challenges is to keep more people in the workforce. And so, for example, if you go to other parts, and in fact, Du Peng was talking about this, uh, that if you go to other parts, of the world around here, like say to Japan, you'll find that a lot of taxi drivers are older people, they're retired people, whereas here they're people in the prime of life. And so the idea of trying to get more older people to stay in the workforce, that is one challenge. But then, uh, you know, more than that, it's it's simply that, uh, you know, if you're going to have fewer people part of the productive workforce, then you're going to have a smaller economy. You're going to have less consumption because an awful lot of, you know, quite a lot of consumption is to do with, you know, with working life. And we saw that when everybody started working from home in lots of parts of the world that, uh, you know, all kinds of parts of the economy that depended on people going to work, they suffered. And so there are lots of things around that. And so that even though, they, you know, like a lot of the things that say in uh, Chinese manufacturing, I've been to a lot of factories recently where they are so hugely automated that basically robots 
are doing so much of the work and they'll point to some particular section of the uh, factory and they say this is now 97% automated and you'll see these cages with all these robots busy working and building things, building cars or whatever. And so that's going to be part of the solution, but it's not the full solution. So they're going to, so that's going to be a problem. There's another impact though that it has on life in China. And this is something which you notice that because of the one-child policy, that if everybody that I would meet, say, in their 30s or 40s, they're usually only children. And not only are they the only children of their parents, but they're the only grandchildren of two sets of grandparents. And as their parents start to age, they find that they uh, are going to have to stay close to their parents because there's nobody else to take care of the parents. There isn't a welfare state here, really. And also just the tradition is a tradition of filial piety. The bargain is your parents are going to take care of you until you're 18 or 20, whatever. And then in turn, your responsibility is to take care of them. And that then, uh, it, it limits really the choices that people can make. So a lot of people, for example, that I know who may have been abroad and have been doing quite well abroad, they came home to China partly because they needed to be close to their parents. And so it, it creates a kind of a, an emotional strain on people because of the fact that the parents depend on them so completely and they depend on their parents and they're so uh, sort of, you know, there's really nobody to share the burden with. And so that creates kind of, you know, uh, social and emotional problems for people. And, uh, and that's another, another of the side effects of this demographic problem. And in terms of, I suppose, China on the world stage, is there a sense that the shrinking population is in some way undermining China's global power? You know, you, you mentioned there that it's been overtaken by India in terms of having the largest population on the planet. It's possible. I think that, you know, in, in some ways it can be exaggerated in terms of its impact. It's still a very, very big country and it is more advanced in many ways than India, say, uh, economically or in terms of, you know, as a, you know, technologically as a, as a manufacturing centre. And so even if the population shrinks... There's enough ingenuity probably to keep the economy going pretty well. So I think China will continue uh, to grow economically and will continue to, to be a very important country in the world, uh, you know, even if the, the population does continue to shrink a bit and even if these predictions continue to, uh, you know, to have an effect. But I think the problem is much more, I think you can see it again if you look around elsewhere in the region, if you look at South Korea or Japan, that it has a kind of a, a depressed effect, not so much economically, but just societally, if the population is shrinking rather than growing. Is there any possibility of political unrest stemming from all these problems? Uh, you know, could it undermine the Communist Party if it's seen to be to blame? It's possible. I don't see it in a sense, you know, it's possibly the opposite, because if you've got fewer young people, you've got, you know, young people tend to be the more rebellious. Uh, I, you know, it can certainly, uh, you know, it can contribute to a sense of malaise, a sense of just things not really working terribly well. And for, you know, for systems like this, they need what the political scientists call performance legitimacy, which is that the reason that people support the system is because the system is delivering for them. If the system stops delivering for them, economically economically or in terms of their well-being, then it could uh, feed discontent. The fact is that, you know, say for the last 40 years, people in China could 
bank on their lives probably getting better as time went on. Uh, you're already with the zero COVID and its after effects and the kind of the stalling economy. You're already getting a certain amount of discontent about the fact that that's not really you know, uh, quite working. But again, the economy could start growing again and probably will start growing again in the next year or two. And so I think it's probably not a threat to the the Communist Party and the system here right now. But obviously, the more unhappy people are, then or the more they might be likely to question the system. So that's the impact of the shrinking population in China. But let's talk about the impact on the world. Uh, We've already seen one consequence here. And, you know, when I read about it first, I thought about, you know, the butterfly theory, you know, butterfly flaps its wings one part of the world and it causes tsunami in the other. That's what it kind of felt like. This is a big problem for Esquiton and for Limerick because the plant was a massive employer there for decades. Generations of families went through it. Now, it's a small problem on the global scale, of course, But it does represent the fundamental issue that Chinese demand is a major factor in the global economy. Yes, and I think also just that calculation that uh, the company to make the decision about Askeaton you know, that calculation really was that uh, demand was going to reduce over the years because the Chinese population was going to decline and there would be fewer babies and uh, and less demand for this baby formula. And, uh, and so you can really extrapolate out from that, that if the Chinese economy and demand in the Chinese economy shrinks over time, or if people calculate that over the next few years, the Chinese are going to be buying fewer cars or whatever it is they're buying, then companies and manufacturers will start to make similar calculations. And that could, as you say, have real world effects elsewhere in the world, including in Ireland. Because China has been responsible for about 40% of the economic growth in the world over the last uh, few years. That's, uh, you know, its, its growth rate is reducing now, but it's still much higher than, say, in Europe or in the United States. So if China is producing less and if it's consuming less because there are fewer people, that then in turn will affect the rest of the world. Look, falling birth rates, it's its not unique to China. We've seen it in Europe and we've seen governments taking measures to try to encourage people to have children in terms of child welfare and so on. It's clear that China needs to convince its young families, um, and I suppose to be more specific, its young women, to have more children. How can it do that? Are there any theories being floated around in China? Is there any measures being put in place? Yes, the Communist Party earlier this year came up with 20 proposals to address this very problem. And they uh, included all kinds of things like tax breaks. You know, they've already got tax breaks in a lot of of the provinces uh, or handouts if you have a second or a third child. But they've now been suggesting that maybe you should help people or encourage people to have the first child, because if you don't have the first child, you're not going to have the second or the third. And so there's a certain amount of just sort of financial support. Then there's things like making childcare more affordable, making education more affordable. These measures I spoke about, about, uh, you know, reducing the pressure on parents to, to, to pay more for private tuition. But then there are things like maternity leave and paternity leave. So you have maternity leave here in China, but it's basically between the company that employs you and yourself. Uh, What you don't have is kind of publicly funded maternity leave uh, or paternity leave. And so they're talking about introducing that. And again, in some parts of the country, they already have. But one of the suggestions that uh, was brought forward by the Communist Youth League, in fact, was that part of the problem is that young people work too hard and they work... uh, 
their hours are too long, so they don't get a chance to meet each other. In China, there is an expression for this grueling work schedule. It's 996, which means 9 in the morning until 9 in the evening, six days a week, and that includes hours and hours of unpaid overtime. People are meeting later, getting together later, marrying later. And there's another, you know, there are other sort of you know, peculiarities, like, for example, the marriage age here is 20. And so they're talking about maybe reduce it. And also, if you want to register a child and you're not married, that's a problem. So they're kind of talking about introducing, you know, some elements like that, which would just make the bureaucracy of uh, having a child a little bit easier. But an awful lot of it is actually just, I think, probably creating an atmosphere where it's easier for people, where people feel less pressure. And you know, in their lives generally, and then also uh, that they that they feel that it's more affordable and more possible to integrate into your life the idea of having a child. Now, of course, another way to replenish the country would be to encourage immigration. What is the attitude in China to that? It's really not on the agenda at all. And again, if you look elsewhere. Uh, around the region, like to Japan and South Korea, once again, it's not something that they uh, have considered really as a solution. I think it's just culturally something which uh, is simply not on the agenda, not on the menu, and nobody here would uh, would talk about it as an idea. I mean, I think the other thing is like so there are quite a lot of Chinese people are still quite poor. Uh, you know, they've become uh, much better off over the last forty years, but still there are parts of China where people are still struggling. So the the idea that you would bring in more people and create more competition, that's certainly not you know, for jobs and for resources. It's not something that, um, that I think anybody would consider here right now. Finally, can I ask you, you're in Beijing, I mean, and you talked before about, you know, the 40-year-olds, the 30-year-olds you meet, they're all only, mostly they're all only children because of the one-child policy, they've no siblings. And you talked about how that impacts on society. But are you conscious you know, in your everyday life, that you're living in an ageing society? Not really. I mean, you certainly see quite a, a lot of older people. They tend to be, uh, you know, they're quite active in a sense. You'll see them, you know, uh, dancing. They've got all these kind of outdoor waltzing and uh, other kind of dancing things on on the side of the street. And right near where I live, you've got a place where they sort of play table tennis or they do their exercise and exercising machines. So they're all kind of, you know, uh, busy stretching and kind of getting out and about. So it doesn't really feel like uh, a very old society and you still you know you see kids around lots of kids around and obviously now uh, they can have more and also the other thing is that because Chinese men have changed in the same way that men have changed elsewhere that they spend they're more interested in their children so you see uh, people spending more time uh, enjoying the business of being fathers and mothers in a way in a way that you possibly wouldn't have before so so I don't feel it now it's also maybe because I'm aging myself that uh, I don't kind of notice everybody else being so old but do you take part in any of that, Dennis, now? Are you out playing table tennis and waltzing in the square? No, I was encouraged to do so, but I took a great exception to uh, to all of these. But certainly I have uh, noticed that other people uh, regard me as being rather older. And then what has happened is that people will say, uh, when they ask me how old I am or they uh, look at my passport for my date of birth, they will say, why aren't you retired yet? <laughs> because, of course, you know, uh, <laughs> there's a rather earlier retirement age. Um, I, of course, ignore them. That's it for today. For more reporting from Dennis Staunton in China, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. 
I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode is produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.